Elise Glink joins us on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Uh, did you see Cocaine Bear yet, Elise? I haven't, but I did watch the trailer for it. And I remember reading this story about bears, you know, eating drugs that they found. You know, what does a bear know, right? The yeah, cocaine. but They dropped it from an airplane. It really happened, but the bear did not become homicidal. And no. No, but they but it did become kind of crazy and uh, was wandering around and not behaving normally. So I'm looking forward to seeing that movie. No, you're not. Okay, so let's talk a little bit. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk. You about know me so well, John. <laughs> you don't have to patronize me. Let's talk because I'm not sure I'm going to see it either. Okay. Uh, pending home sales. Where are we? What's going on on the real estate front? Well, we had some wonderful news in January that pending home sales improved for the second straight month, up 8% in January, according to the National Association of Realtors. And actually, we saw home sales, so not just pending the things that might be coming down the line, but the actual ones that closed, jumped 7.2%, according to Fannie Mae. And the reason for this, of course, is that interest rates, which hit a high in November, dropped over 1%. In uh, December and January into, I think, February 1st was kind of the end of that. And now it's on its way up. But home buyers were watching those interest rates, and they jumped the minute they started going down. Boy, it's that, uh, that I guess we know, that, what does that tell us? There's pent-up demand. A lot of people do want to buy, and they're just sitting on the sidelines waiting. Yeah, I mean, affordability is really low right now. And we haven't seen interest rates like this. I mean, they're over 7%. If you've got a a 700 credit score right now, which is about average, you know, interest rates are something like 7.3% in some cases. And they're, you know, around 65 to 7% if you've got a really great credit score. These are very high interest rates. And as a result, a lot of people just can't, afford to buy, especially, you know, first-time home buyers, And so uh, they were looking for a way to make it a little bit more affordable, and, and they jumped at it. Interest rates have, though, stepped back up a little bit, right? Yeah, no. The the rates that I just quoted you are for today. Uh, they were actually are, are up quite a bit since the beginning of February. I mean, we've seen kind of a dramatic rise again because the Fed has indicated that inflation isn't going down. In fact, it's Uh, or it's going down less than expected, Um, and it's still pretty high, and so they're going to have to do more. They said at their Fed meeting they're going to have to raise rates again, uh, continue to raise rates, and so the market is building in that price, which means that, you know, interest rates are rising kind of in advance of what's going on. So it's a little bit of a concern for anybody in the home-building industry. I mean, you've talked to real estate lawyers, real estate brokers, mortgage lenders, uh, you know, all sorts of people who feed off of this industry. They're all part of it. They make their living from it. And what you're seeing are really big layoffs. Uh, mortgage lenders have been laying off large groups of loan officers mm. since about the, I don't know, the third quarter of last year. We're also seeing real estate brokers uh, you know, looking around for deals, but not finding a lot of them out there. Even the very high end, which has stayed strong because they're interest rate neutral. They don't care. They usually you know, get special deals anyway. Uh, even brokers at that end are noticing a slowdown. So does this mean sellers are going to have to drop their price in order to get people in the door? I don't know. Well, it, so this is the problem. We, I would go back to what you and I said at the end of the year. We're in the land of never before in a lot of ways. 
um, because it, sellers aren't really dropping their prices. And in fact, if you look around the Chicago metropolitan area, home prices have stayed pretty stable. Where they've gone down are places like Boise, Idaho, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, San Francisco, the coastal areas that had jumped up in price. But even in Miami, prices aren't really moderating all that much, just a tad bit. Let's pause here. I want to know what the color of the year is. Do we know what the color of the year is going to be for home <laughs> interiors? Oh, I don't yet, but uh, I will talk to you all about what we're going to see at the International Home Show coming up. Elise Glink is on with us. Click on thinkglink.com, and you can also follow her Sunday mornings with Tom Fortino on WGN for the Week in Wealth at 7 a.m. So what's, the, uh, what's this International Home Show coming up? Well, it's now called, actually, the Inspired Home Show, uh, IHS. It used to be called the Home and Houseware Show for a long, long time. You may remember that. And it's been coming to Chicago for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. And then over the pandemic, it stopped coming. Uh, People, I remember when the pandemic started, it was right before the home show happened. And uh, so the home show is normally the first week of March. And you remember, that's kind of when everything started to shut down. And they canceled it. So (laughs) nobody was able to come in, and that was the beginning. But anyway, now they're back in full. And what this show does, it literally brings in tens of thousands of people to Chicago from around the world. This is a big one. It's huge. Uh, So you get, it's five or six days. You get retailers who come in. You've got people who have invented all kinds of new housewares. Um, everything from cookware to designs to some of the things that I've loved seeing the best are, are these young designers who come out of like Columbia and other places and they've invented all kinds of new stuff. This is the show that brought the um, electronic locks. The first time I'd ever seen those were here uh, where you can just use your phone to unlock doors and all kinds of stuff. Really interesting. So the show is coming. There are thousands and thousands of people who will be showcasing all of their own stuff. And then even more, many, many times that buyers from around the world. And so, in fact, the keynote is going to be Walmart's top executives. I think the person who oversees their home stores and um, somebody who oversees kind of the omni-channel. So online, in person, that kind of how do you reach people where they are today? And they're going to talk about how you have to be omni-channel in order to compete and stay relevant for customers. That's a McCormick place this week. Is it open to the public or is it just for industry people? It's just for industry people, but I'm going to be attending this weekend and I will have all kinds of updates for you next Monday. It's kind of like the candy show, and I'm thinking of some other ones. You go, oh, mm-hmm. I want to go to that thing, but <clears throat> I'm not a buyer. I'm not in the trade. So I, it'd be interesting if they would open it up to the public, and and I guess there are those kinds of shows too. But, boy, I'd love to cruise around there with you. It is so cool, John. I mean, it really is. And I, I do wish they would open it up so people can see. One of my favorite aisles is the coffee aisle. So when I say an aisle, we're talking about, it's about the size of a football field. And you literally walk an entire room and the whole first two rows are just different kinds of coffee, coffee makers, coffee machines, iced coffee, new innovations in, you know, current coffee. It's really interesting to see. Another one that I really like is the OXO. Uh, You may like those like rubber rubber handled things, right? OXO. 
And they usually have a huge booth um, and you can walk inside and you can test out all of the new kinds of OXO, you know, appliances and OXO related handheld things for your kitchen, everything to make your life a little bit easier. And so it's fun to walk around and see how companies are innovating, especially post-pandemic. My uh, prediction for interior color of the year, Mm. evergreen fog. I'm going with evergreen fog. <laughs> it would be fun to have your uh, have the listeners uh, text in their color choices if you'd like or, to uh, tell us what you think the color should be for the year. It's it's always some odd shade. Like last year, it was I don't know some version of hot pink. I think uh, my second choice is happy moss, and my third choice is blanched thyme. Blanched time. Those are my big three. So I hope you're writing this down. I am. I blanched time, rosemary, yeah. and parsley to go and with number it. Number four, by the way, is shrimp. Shrimp is my number four. <laughs> um, apartment rents. Uh, I've heard those are high and they're not coming down anytime soon. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, apartment rents are incredibly high. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm kind of surprised. The Wall Street Journal wrote about it this week. Apartment List rela- uh, released their new data. And the surprise is that apartment rents are down just a bit, right, than, than where they were last year. But if you look at where they were on average, um, this is for, uh, I think, a two-bedroom apartment, the average price in the country was $1,100 in 2021. And two years later, in January of 2023, um, or I should say it's the end of 2022, we were looking at $1,300 a month in rent. It was a really big jump. It's starting to fall a little bit, and there's some concern that it's because people have really tapped out. They just can't afford to pay any more for apartment leases. Uh, What we're also seeing out there, though, is that there's just an enormous demand for housing in general, right? Rents, condos, single-family houses. We seem to be very short on all fronts in this country, and we're just not producing enough supply. And, you know, one optimistic way to look at downtown Chicago's viability, forget the business for a moment, it'll recover in time. It's just going to take more time than anybody likes. But in terms of residential, Steve Dale had a guest on over the weekend, and they said that 95% of the available residential spaces in Chicago were taken. 95% is the occupancy rate. Steve was aghast at that. I don't know if they were talking about just high end or above a certain level, but, and, and the guy pointed out that, in fact, if you think about it, uh, Sterling Bay and some of these mega developments are going to put another 40,000 units into the Chicago market, you know, in the next couple of years. That's on the books. That's on. That's being planned or being built. So some people out there are banking that folks will continue to want to live in Chicago. Well, listen, look what, look what happened just this morning, right? I mean, you look outside, we had probably two or three inches of rain. My backyard looks like a, a big mud puddle. Uh, but it's February, John. That should have been a 24-inch snowstorm. Yeah, I know. And we haven't really, in fact, uh, you know, our very good friend Tom Skilling says we're almost eight inches behind just a regular snow year. We're just not getting the same kind of winters that we used to get. And so, 
you know, as we move forward, everybody else in the world will discover what a wonderful place Chicago is. We've got water. We've got moderating temperatures. We've got Tom Skilling forever telling us the weather. Um, but seriously, it's it's there's so much to love about Chicago. I do think we're going to see a big resurgence um, in the city. And, and the rents, the fact that you're getting this kind of investment with 40,000 units being built, we've got some... You know, we do have housing that's being built in this city uh, and, in the, and in the metro area. It's just a, a big investment in what we're doing, and um, hopefully it's going to pay off. Listen for Elise Glink and Tom Fortino Sunday morning at 7, and listen for her Mondays on the Trust Business Lunch. We'll talk next Monday, Elise. Sounds good. I'll get back to you on those colors, John. Remember, I said evergreen fog followed by happy moss, blanched thyme, and shrimp. I'm hungry. I'm going to go have lunch now. (laughs) That wasn't the idea. Thank you. (laughs) Jim Dalkey joins us again. He's the national editor at American Inno. Click on chicagoinno.com to read stuff that Jim and his colleagues are writing. Jim, welcome back to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, Let's start with Rivet. It's a fascinating company. We're seeing more and more from them. What's the uh, latest with Rivet? Hey, yeah, so Rivet, um, interesting artificial intelligence startup, uh, just relocated to Chicago, actually. This was a company uh, built out of some students from MIT, so um, from Boston to Chicago here. And they're working in in the music space, so kind of really interesting take here. Um, you know, they're really working to help bring some artificial intelligence tools to or, uh, really emerging musicians, really in the in the uh, area of marketing. So really what they're helping early, early uh, musicians able to do is kind of better target their audience and sort of automate some different stuff like email marketing and other sort of campaigns to kind of help, uh, you know, musicians with maybe, say, 10,000 fans, 20,000 fans, 50,000 fans, reach those folks and kind of better engage them. But whether it's, hey, letting them know that there's uh, a new album coming, some merch, uh, an event coming up, you know, you wouldn't uh, be surprised that some, uh, you know, musicians at that stage were not exactly adept in marketing very well. And so really what Rivet is able to do is kind of provide some AI tools to help, um, you know, get their fans together on one sort of platform and give them access to all the alerts and information about everything that's coming up from them. So yeah, Rivet just raised $500,000 in a pre-seed funding round from Drive Capital. We've talked about Drive before. They're really one of the most active Midwest investors that are based out of Columbus, but they're really starting to kind of double down on Chicago. They've got uh, an office here and really kind of investing a lot of pre-seed investment in uh, early-stage startups here in Chicago. So, yeah, Rivet, the latest to benefit from a, a nice check to Drive Capital. What? Here's another one I don't know how to pronounce. R-H-A-E-O-S, Inc. Reos. Yeah, Rayos. So Rayos is the latest startup from uh, John Rogers, who's really a prolific inventor here uh, in Chicago. It's behind a lot of high-tech devices out of Northwestern University. And yeah, so John Rogers' latest is, is Rayos, and they're a medical tech startup that's created basically a kind of a postage stamp-sized patch that can sort of sit on your sort of upper chest and neck area. Um, the device was originally intended for, um, you know, sort of assessing hydrocephalus and what they found is that it's got an actually a really interesting other use case. Um, it can actually measure uh, your voice and how much you use it. Um, it's specifically coming in handy for folks like musicians. So speaking about uh, artists and musicians, they can wear this patch on their chest 
throughout the day, throughout the week to determine how much they're using their voice and if they're on the verge of really overextending themselves. So obviously it's super important for, you know, musicians who are on tour, making sure that they don't, you know, overextend themselves. And by the last leg of their tour, they, their voice runs out. So really what this device does is connects to your phone and can measure how much voice you're using um, and how much, and if you're on the, the verge of sort of running out, right? So it's a really kind of a first of its kind device um, that really sits right on your upper chest and sort of senses these subtle vibrations that are captured and lets your phone know like, whoa, hey, you're, you're really pushing it. And um, you can imagine this could be uh, used for musicians, but, you know, the startup also says that, you know, politicians and other folks kind of in the, the public arena can use this as well. So really interesting high-tech stuff from one of Chicago's most prolific inventors. Is there a little microphone in that thing? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's not so much a microphone, but it's really measuring vibrations. So it's, it's really kind of just continuing to monitor how much your vocal cords are, are really pushing those vibrations through. And so, yeah, it's not so much a microphone, but as much as it is vibrations. And so, yeah, I mean, they really feel like, you know, this is an opportunity to really capture this. And this was really based on a lot of inbound requests. They'd had a, a kind of a peer-reviewed journal um, sort of talking about what the startup was working on. They got a number of inquiries kind of from this space where it's like, hey, a musician could really be interested in this to know kind of like, well, my voice is really sort of on the brink of kind of overextending itself. So some pretty fascinating tech out of John Rogers and Northwestern University. Basketball coaches could wear that. I'm thinking of a lot of the coaches that you hear after a game or mid-season and their voice is shot because they were Thibodeau, for instance, from the, from the Bulls or, or college coaches, too, that are screaming at their guys and their voice starts to give out. Heck, I run into this sometimes and my voice goes up and down, up and down four hours a day. But sometimes by the end of the week or just on a given show, I, I can feel it, you know. That's a great point. I mean, they even say, you know, that, that teachers could use this and call yeah. center workers. People are just like kind of constantly using their voice in their profession. You don't have to be, you know, a, a multimillion dollar professional artist, right? That's touring the country. You could even be, you know, a teacher or somebody who's just working the phones all day and uh, really could, you know, come in handy for a, a lot of different areas. General Lattice is in your news. What's up there? Yeah, General Lattice, really interesting 3D print startup. They were in the news actually during the NBA slam dunk contest the other weekend. They, uh, with the help of Wilson uh, Sporting Goods, created what they say is uh, the world's first 3D printed airless basketball. It was used in the slam dunk competition by Houston Rockets star KJ Martin. This basketball is not filled with air. Uh, really interesting. So they're basically using their kind of uh, additive manufacturing and 3D printing to create a basketball that has pretty much all the performance specifications of a regulation NBA basketball, the weight, the size, the bounce, but it doesn't need to be inflated uh, because it's made with this sort of black see-through lattice you know, using 3D printing technology, which uh, the Chicago startup General Lattice is, is, is known for making. And so, yeah, it was on display. It took uh, KJ Barton a couple attempts to actually finish his dunk. That's not uh, I don't think a, a condemnation on the basketball itself, but more on, on KJ there. But uh, it, the, he did not win the dunk contest, so the, the basketball uh, was not a part of the first place um, uh, award there. But they were uh, definitely on front and center and some pretty cool stuff out of a Chicago startup. Is it inflated? It's not inflated. So it's, it's not inflated. That's what's so fascinating about it. Yeah, so they, they are basically able with this sort of lattice technology um, and 3D printing. They're able to create a ball that's just not filled with air, but it's still able to bounce at the same uh, ability right. as an inflated basketball and the weight and size. So um, some pretty cool stuff, and they were able to show that off during the dunk contest. Oh, one last thing about that. It's, it's, but it's a hollow center, right? It's, it's, 
it's not solid all the way through, is it? That's right. Yeah, it's a hollow center. So uh, yeah, it's really able to kind of just basically with this um, you know lattice technology that they've got um, combined with 3D printing, able to kind of mimic a traditional basketball. So um, yeah, I mean it's kind of a bit of a gimmicky thing right now, right? But uh, they see some potential use cases down the road, and certainly you know get some high profile visibility being connected with the dunk contest and then Chicago-based Wilson Sporting Goods. I want them to do that with bicycle tires. Totally, yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot, right, of uh, potential use cases down the road, too. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing this technology applied in a lot of different areas. Is it me? Uh, doesn't it seem, Jim, like uh, 3D technology was all the rage? Everybody was talking about it. Then, you know, for good and bad, right? Like you could 3D print a gun, for crying out loud. Um, and, well, we don't seem to hear that much about it these days. But I guess it's still out there and still evolving, huh? For sure. I think it's, you know, it's kind of in the background a little bit now. It's less kind of a novelty. And uh, I definitely don't think it's going away. I think that there's just different use cases for it, right? And I think that it's becoming more a part of our, our everyday life. There's actually, you know, you know, a company in Chicago that does shoes, 3D printed shoes um, for, you know, different specialty sized feet, right? So there's oh, lots yeah. of different kinds of opportunities, I think, for that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of becoming more and more commonplace where it's, it's not exactly making headlines, but certainly still a part of uh, our day-to-day life. Jim Dahlke, ChicagoNO.com. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, John. The business news continues on the Wintrust Business Lunch with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. The Chicago area has failed to recover all of the jobs lost during the pandemic, but a new analysis shows Chicago's 25 largest employers are making a dent. Cranes reports they've exceeded their pre-COVID headcounts. Those employers saw a 10.3% increase in employees between 2019 and 2022. But small to mid-sized employers saw a nearly 4% decrease during the same period. Overall employment in the Chicago area dropped 14% from early to mid-2020 and is still below pre-pandemic levels. A Chicago fintech startup is cutting staff. Amount is laying off 130 workers, or about 25% of its workforce. Crane says it's the second time in a year that the company has reduced staff. It cut about 100 workers last June. Amount is a spinoff of online lender Avant and provides technology support to banks and consumer lenders. 38 of the 130 job cuts are happening in Chicago. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. The business of food and Steve Alexander. And Nick Kordachuk, one year and three days after Russia began its attack, after I tell you we're sponsored by the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience your life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Nick Gordachuk farms just outside Kiev, and by Ukrainian standards, he has a large operation, raising potatoes and wheat, sunflowers, corn on about 1,500 acres. Nick, we've talked a few times over the past year. How is your family doing? Family is fine. My children are back in Kiev, except for the smaller one. The smaller one is uh, with her mother outside Ukraine. Also, my mother and my sister, they're all in, in Ukraine. Yeah, I, I can understand you not wanting your 10-year-old to have to deal with that uh, daily and nightly threat of attacks, which I imagine has to be hard for everybody. Yeah. Uh, like my mother, for example, she she's getting panic attacks because when she hears the alarm going on, it's difficult for her to breathe. So there are many people who are mentally disturbed by, by this. And uh, one year has been very tough. Every day we have uh, many people dying. There are hundreds of people are dying and not far from us. So it's of course it's uh, it's terrible and terrible in many ways. Uh, many families have been uh, broken, children without parents, without uh, fathers, 
over 8 million people have to start new lives uh, away from homes. And I still cannot, cannot be calm in my mind that this all can happen in 21st century. Yeah, no kidding. I wanted to tell you again, Nick, how impressed we are over here by not only the bravery and resolve of Ukrainians, but also how many appear to be trying to live their lives as normally as possible. Well, in many big cities, uh, life goes on, and especially when it's further away from from the eastern border and the southern border. People are very motivated. Uh, you know, we, we continue to support the army. Uh, whatever we can do, we support, because, uh, you know, if Russia stops fighting, the war will stop. But if Ukrainians stop fighting, there will be no Ukraine. So uh, we have no choice. We'll pick this up again tomorrow with Ukrainian farmer Nick Gordichuk. Uh, we all look at it differently now than we looked at it 12 months ago. Yeah, that's the business of food on 720 WGN. Let's uh, talk a little bit, of, just for a couple more minutes here, um, about what's happening with rates and also with the market. Ted Rossman is a senior industry analyst at Bankrate.com. I'm actually thinking about um, credit card balances I've heard that those were trending up, Ted. What's going on there? Yes, unfortunately, we have hit a new record, according to the latest New York Fed quarterly report. So this covers the fourth quarter. The total now is $986 billion. That surpassed the previous record, which was set just prior to the pandemic in Q4 2019. What's really significant is the rate of change. Credit card balances were up 15% over the past year and 7% just over the past quarter. Both of those are records in this data set that goes back about 20 years. What's going on here? I think it's a combination of high inflation and higher interest rates. This is definitely combining to squeeze people because credit card rates right now are right about the highest they've ever been, 19.94% is the current average. It's actually slipped ever so slightly the past couple of weeks. But really, for all intents and purposes, it's essentially a record. A year ago, it was more like 16.3%. So big jump in rates, big jump in inflation. People are putting everyday expenses on cards, financing it over time. It's a tough combination. My top tip would be to get a 0% balance transfer card. These let you pause the interest clock for up to 21 months. Did stimulus money have anything to do with this? It had a lot to do with the paydown that we saw early in the pandemic. At one point, credit card balances were down 17% from Q4 2019 to Q1 of 2021. That was the bottom. And you're right, stimulus was a big part of it. People used that to pay off debt. They also took advantage of the fact that they were spending less for a while in many cases. Since then, though, it's been a really steep climb. Balances are up 28% since the beginning of 2021. Did people use that money to pay down their debt? Did they actually take the stimulus money and pay off their credit cards? A lot of people did, but unfortunately, those balances have been run right back up. In many cases, now even exceeding where they were at the start of the pandemic. And, you know, no shame. A lot of people have credit card debt, roughly half of cardholders. And it's usually for very practical reasons. The number one cause is a emergency expense, something unexpected with your health, your home, your car, something like that. The second biggest explanation, which I think has really taken center stage over the past year, 
is just day-to-day expenses. And so many people are spending so much more for rent and gas and groceries and other things that that's leading them to run up the credit card bills. And then the high rates make it harder to pay off. So that's where something like a 0% balance transfer card could really help you out by pausing that interest clock for nearly two years. Is the Federal Reserve driving this? They are. Credit card rates are directly tied in with the Fed. That's been the case um, really ever since the CARD Act went into effect in 2010. So it, it created a much tighter link between the Fed and credit card rates. We had been in a relatively low rate environment. I mean, credit cards, of course, have much higher rates than most other forms of debt, largely because it's unsecured debt. Um, but they've really taken off over the past year, jumping from the low 16s to almost 20 percent on average. Some cards are even over 30 percent. Um, so it's just so important yeah. to seek out a lower rate uh, through a balance transfer or maybe a personal loan as a form of debt consolidation or maybe seeking nonprofit credit counseling as well. I'm sure you remember during the pandemic in the early stages when checks were coming out, there was a debate about how people should use that money. Should they continue to go to stores and buy shoes and groceries and whatever consumer goods we all buy, either online or in person, or should they pay down debt? Um, but there was the idea, right, that that money was used not not for you to pay off your debt, but for us to keep the economy going. You remember that, right? That's right, yeah. And actually, a current example of that would be your tax refund. So a lot of people are getting those right now or in the coming weeks. That's a form of stimulus in a way. The average tax refund is typically about $3,000 per family. And I think, like you said, you know, that's a great use of the money is to pay down this high cost credit card debt. You want to be mindful of savings too, of course. And I know it's easier said than done to build up these balances. But I think for a lot of people, the tax refund is probably the largest windfall of the year. So maybe you use some of it to pay off your high interest credit card debt. Maybe some of it goes into savings because that insulates you from the proverbial rainy day and then you're not running that balance right back up. So I I think this is a really important time of year to make some headway on both of those priorities, hopefully. I understand the temptation to get upside down on those numbers. If you're paying 20 percent on your card, um, you're not going to get 20 percent with that money in the bank. But you'd like to see having a bank balance, even though you're losing every day if you have a credit card balance. Yeah, that's right. You know, at Bankrate, we talk a lot about emergency savings being that sleep at night kind of money. So you may not get rich off of it, although savings rates have come up a lot. You can now get 5% on a federally insured, totally liquid savings account. Of course, it's not the 20% you're paying on the credit card, but it is giving you that buffer. So the next time the car breaks down or you get some other unexpected expense, you have something between you and that high-cost credit card debt. Ted Rossman is a senior energy analyst at Bankrate.com. Ted, we'll talk again. Thanks for your help today. Sounds good. Thank you.